everybody, and welcome to the Getting Close with Mike Marbach podcast. Uh, before we get into the podcast, uh, there are a few quick bits of business, a little bit of business to go over here, Bamp. Uh, the first bit of business is that this podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Uh, you can go to audibletrial.com slash podcast and you get a free audiobook download. They have over 100,000 titles to choose from, and you get to do that for free. Uh, it's a no-risk trial, so if you don't like it, you can always choose to cancel it. Uh, but you will still get to keep that audiobook. And what you should do is download one of the Game of Thrones books, if you haven't started that series. And... As you listen to the books, you can go over to my other podcast, Stark Raven Mad, a Game of Thrones podcast. So if you're a fan of Game of Thrones, listen to Stark Raven Mad. Uh, you can find that on iTunes, also MikeMarbach.com, and soon, StarkRavenMadPodcast.com. I'm working on that. It's a pain in the ass to get everything over. I'm not going to bore you with the details, but it should be up soon. Uh, also, both of those podcasts are going to be in the first Philly Podcast Festival, which will take place August 1st through August 3rd of the year current. Of the current year. I don't know why I said the year current. Ah, oh, God. I'm an idiot. Uh, but both of those podcasts are in there. You can catch uh, Getting Close, this podcast, on Thursday night at 9.30, 8.1, August 1st, that is. And on August 3rd, you can catch Stark Raven Mad. There's actually going to be a costume contest involved with uh, with that. So if you uh, ever uh, cosplayed, if that's the verb, uh, dressed up as a character from something, then uh, you could win something. I'm guessing you could win something. I'm actually not sure. I should probably check into that. Uh, the last thing is the actual podcast. That's with Jet Eveleth. I knew Jet in Chicago when I lived there, uh, when I was studying studying the art of improvisation, and she was one of my favorites to watch. She was so passionate. You could see how much she loved performing. Uh, she was on one of the improv great teams, one of the great improv teams uh, known as The Reckoning, and they are actually, uh, she told me that they are still performing now. Uh, out in LA, there's a bunch of them that had moved there. So if you're out in Los Angeles, you can see the Reckoning, and they are spectacular. So much fun. I won't talk too much. All I'll say is that this was a really good conversation, and if you are a fan of improv, if you are an improviser, then you will enjoy this. Now listen, as I get close with Jet Eveleth. Uh, yeah, so basically how this is going to work is I've got a list here. I'll be looking at this, trying to write things down. If I so see you look down, I'm going to call listening. it out. I'm I going am, to call it. I am listening, I promise. Uh, and I'm writing some things down that maybe get back to. Because uh, the way it generally works is I don't really research anything. I, yeah. I also heard these go very long from all the guys last night at the bar. Uh, don't listen to anything they say. <laughs> yeah. they, it goes just like an improv scene. Yeah. It, when it's when it when it's done, it's done. Yeah. You feel it or out. Or when I pull all the lights, I'm gonna pull all the lights in this hotel room. <laughs> <laughs> Who's talking about me? I don't. I can't remember <laughs> names. I can't. I'm not very good with names. They don't know anything. They said, "Oh, you got three hours." 
Did they also happen to mention that this is the uh, Widout Award-winning for Best Podcast? Oh, they did. Did they happen to mention that? They did. They mentioned it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus. No, uh, yeah, so we'll start off with family stuff and kind of bounce around and teaching. Okay. Um, family stuff being just what got you into comedy. Did you call that family stuff? Yeah, well, I mean, what was life growing up? Oh, first? I love that. Generally, how I that, love that. Usually, it has something to do yeah, with family. Yeah, totally, totally. Um, or, yeah. <laughs> Maybe not. Have you ever heard that awesome um, uh, Tracy, um, God, why am I just blanking on her name? Tracy Ullman story of um, when she was little, she used to entertain her mother because her mother was sick. And one day, a woman came to the door and knocked on the door and um, told her, oh, yeah, I see a star above your head. You're going to be star. But my question is, who is this woman? Right. And then she left. <laughs> That crazy? That is, I haven't heard that, but that is kind of uh, that's kind of odd. I always loved Tracy Ullman. She's the reason for uh, The Simpsons. I remember watching The Simpsons with my siblings during Tracy Ullman. If you don't mind me asking, yeah, which within three years we'll say yeah. what's your age? Oh, you, you um, I'll give you exactly if you okay, want, that but it be. will cost. <laughs> um, I'm thirty five. Okay, mm. so you were. Uh, I'm 30, what am I, 34. I know, I didn't think about uh, it too. I yeah. like, I have no idea. Because I it's lie like my own phone all number. the time. I don't really call myself. <laughs> I don't know anybody's phone. I don't think anybody knows anybody's phone numbers anymore. Yeah, it's yeah. oh, that's for sure. But you were growing up during the age of the, the Simpsons. For sure. The golden age of the Simpsons. Mm-hmm. When teachers were saying that you can't wear the, the shirts and mm-hmm. sit down with homework mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what's... Uh, and that is a huge part of what shaped. <laughs> <laughs> Down with homework? You didn't want to do um, your seat work? No, but yeah, I, uh, I loved sketchy when I was a kid. Like Trace Ullman, Carol yeah. Burnett, and um, Gary Shandling, his show. Oh, yeah. What was that, the Gary Shandling show? It, well, it was, there was, he had the two. Yeah, that he were did the two. not too far apart. It was, uh, yeah. it's Gary Shandling's show. Thank you. Uh, and then there was uh, Larry Sanders' show. Thank you. And you know, I was so young, I wouldn't. I just remember really enjoying those shows, yeah, especially was... the meta aspect. Mm-hmm. Both um, of them. I love that. Yeah. I don't know why that gets me off, but I really like it. Any moment we can speak to the fact that this is all just yeah. for fun yeah. and it's a gag. Yeah. Is um, that something you would bring into improv? I think I do, and into sketch and clown, I really like that aspect. Breaking the. Uh... Well, and I don't like doing it unless it it feels it, it feels like the piece wants it, you know. Right. But. In clown, you're admitting you're doing theater, and same, I guess, in Brecht, right? Like, you're um, admitting you're doing theater, and there's something sometimes very freeing about that. Mm-hmm. And then other times, I really love that thick fourth wall, but I don't know. I, I feel like there's something really beautiful about being able to go back and forth very quickly and honoring both intensely, like the intensely playing and then intense, intensely being with the audience. Yeah. And being like, isn't this fucked up? <laughs> We're just playing! <laughs> Uh, we, we are going to talk about some, some clown. Oh. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm good. Spang yeah, should I elbow. like lean forward when I talk? Is that? No, no, no. Okay. It actually picks up okay. pretty, uh, pretty well. I okay. just want to position it in such a way that it will back up what I just said. So uh, let's talk about my family. Yeah, let's get into some of the, <laughs> the deeper things. Uh, how, d- was your family supportive of you getting into this? Well, I mean, we're so... Yeah, they were. I mean, I think everybody in my family, my brothers and sisters, were all, all artists. So, And my family was so blue-collar that nobody ever thought, you know, like, you have to be a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I think um, my parents gave me a lot of freedom to do whatever I wanted, and they didn't really... I think I'm lucky in the way that um, some parents are really involved, and I think it's lovely and beautiful, and I'm somewhat envious. But then other ways, because n- nobody was all that involved, I kind of just got to do what I wanted. Yeah. So there was no controlling aspect. But yeah, my um, brother was my brother did theater and, and comedy and improv and painted and danced, and um, so we did all that because he was the oldest. Mm-hmm. And um, so yeah, so I kind of. Felt like a little... Where do you fall in the... I'm the, the youngest. The, you're the youngest, okay. Older brother, older sister, step th- older step-sibling, two older step-brothers. So it's three and three, so it's like a Brady Bunch and I'm Cindy. <laughs> yeah, okay. That just gives you the picture. <laughs> Minus the uh, the lisp. Thank uh, you. Thank you. <laughs> at least that I could tell. Yeah. Um, but when I get drunk, <laughs> it comes back. No. Uh, all right, so what was your your high school... Uh, did you go to college? Mm-hmm. What was your high school college uh, experience as far as performing goes? I think I've always known. Well, since I was really little, I always knew I wanted to do, be a performer, mm-hmm. and um, so I went to. I got an early decision at NYU for Meisner, but then I couldn't afford it, so I went to UMass, and then I went on exchange to other schools that had like improv classes because I knew in my heart there was something that called to me about improv. Why? So, how, how did that happen? Um, like where well, did you see when improv I was or do improv? Seventeen. My brother was in a dinner theater, um, and the, one of the girls from the cast got pregnant, so he, they needed someone to fill in. And he's like, "Well, my sister could do it." And I was seventeen. It was a dinner theater, and we got free drinks, so it was the first time I ever drank. And they passed fifty bucks a night, and I remember getting really drunk, mm-hmm. and then waking up at five thirty or six in the morning to go to high school, and being like in the shower, being like, <laughs> "Pull your shit together, Jet. You gotta get through this." Um, but. uh I loved it because it was a lot of like, it was dinner theater and we were like, it was sort of like Tony and Tina's wedding except it was mm-hmm. Godfather's dinner anniversary and I played an Irish, you know, young Irish woman who had been married into the family. And so I got to play and improvise yeah. stuff and change my lines and my brother and I would sing and dance as part of it. And okay. we both loved to dance. So it was like, oh my God, this is the most fun ever and I get paid 50 bucks cash. So I liked improv, but I still, I couldn't ever put it together of what it would turn to, and I, turn into, and I'm kind of glad I couldn't, because I think sometimes it'd be so specific of like, this will turn into this, and then I'll get this, and then this will happen. I never had that. It was more like, I want to do this forever. Yeah. So I just went to college for acting, and someone told me NYU was the most competitive, so I was like, check, I'm going there. You know, I was like, what's, what's the hardest thing I can do with my life? <laughs> that, that's how I do, that's how I plan my life. Okay. So, um, and then I, in in college, I saw I walked by an improv audition, and I was coming from another audition for a play, and they were like, "Come on in, these guys." You know, what improvisers are. <laughs> they see anyone, especially like a girl, like, hey! and they're probably out there smoking. <laughs> <laughs> and so I went in, and I was like, "This is all you guys do. The audition was just improv." I was like, "This is my favorite part of auditions." Yeah. And then eventually, they make us learn a script. I was like, "You guys never get a script." <laughs> what? So I uh, I loved it, and I joined the improv group, and of course I joined a sketch group, and then I met all these awesome people, and they were in Mission Improbable, and they're like, "Yeah, we're all dropping out of college and going to Chicago," and I was like, "Well, I, I can't do that." And I love academia, so I was like, "Let me," I, I you know, I, I enjoy learning, so I'm like, "Well, I, I still got plenty I can learn," but of course I couldn't wait to get to Chicago, and I read Truth and Comedy, and I was like, "This is beautiful," <laughs> and so I remember the first time I saw that little. Key, that what is that called? The um, awning in front of a um, building, the uh, not the park. 
Marquee. Yes, that's it. Yeah. Do you know I was thinking parquet? <laughs> Par- <laughs> parquet. Parquet. Uh, like a marquee, like the IO, and I was like, this is so cool. And then, of course, I saw some shows with all the greats, like TJ and... And um, at that time, Dave wasn't playing there, but then Dave came, and of course, mm-hmm. I saw Dave and Stephanie Weir and Bob Dassey and, oh, God, Jack McBrayer and la, 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 la. I haven't seen Jack McBrayer perform, <gasps> uh, oh. but I've seen Weird, Weird Ass mm-hmm. a couple times. Uh, they've come through I.O. They're magical. Yeah, so good. And Jack McBrayer is like pure joy, <laughs> trapped in a human, and it's the best. I mean, and I feel like I was able to watch all of them and, like, pull my favorite. They would be like, I want to learn that, and I want to learn that. Because they're all so authentic to who they are. Yeah. And it was all very inspiring. Because the, mm-hmm. the character work of Stephanie is just unreal. Mm-hmm. And the level of truth of someone like TJ is unparalleled. Yeah. You, you've never seen someone more truthful in yeah. my life. So I was like, I want that, and I want that. And now we get to play with Scott Atsit, and I'm like, yeah. ah, you're <laughs> mine! What? You know? Yeah. Yeah, That's amazing. Awesome. Uh, we're gonna get back to some of that too. Uh, I'm okay. sorry, I jumped the gun. No, don't. No, you I, talk. Uh, we need to stop you, this interview. Uh, <laughs> no, we'll, we'll, we'll push through, and I will piece it together. Uh, no, it's gonna be fine. You talk as you need. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll just uh, mm-hmm. work around. I'll, I will improvise. I love it. Oh my god, I'm sorry for that. I, I always wonder too if I'll if I'll go back to school because I also went, did two school. Two years of um, alternative medicine school because I was working there, so I just did two years of a four-year program. Then I also went to alternative medicine. Yeah, what does that involve? A tri- like traditional Chinese medicine. Oh, okay. So it was like the theor- like acupuncture, and neurology. Right. But I was going, I was working there, so I could take up to two years, and after two years, you have to like take all these exams and and commit, you know. And I was like, well, no, I can't do that this lifetime. Mm-hmm. But it was so much fun just yeah. to like take these classes and just keep the, my brain fresh and just learn like anatomy and mm-hmm. pathophys was really interesting like everything that could go wrong with the body it's really useful right like oh an improv to have like outside knowledge oh absolutely right? yeah so especially you're like, when you can be super specific with it <laughs> because it doesn't matter if the audience understands it they're just impressed that totally. yeah that, or even that it's real sometimes yeah just the specifics of it like susan would say yeah uh, detail sharpen the knife yeah totally and then I did my, I got my master's in Chicago too in interdisciplinary arts. And that was just to kick myself in the butt mm-hmm. to like write stuff and make stuff and create stuff. And I'm glad I did that. There's something about that environment of academia that makes you do, or at least for me, it makes me do work. I'm like, yeah. I want that. A. And then I'll like write four plays. I'm like, why is it that I have to pay you to make me write? Yeah. But I do. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. All right. So you are, you get to Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you remember about what year this would have been? Yeah, 2000. In 2000. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, what's the first thing you, you did as far as training goes? I.O. I.O. And then um, I auditioned for the conservatory because like those Mission Probable guys were like older brothers to me. They were like, do this, do this, do this. Introduced me to Liz Allen and I was like, oh my God. Mm-hmm. She was so lovely and artful and believed in group mind more than mm-hmm. anyone. I, like I had read about it, but to have her kind of preaching was a whole, it's like reading, <laughs> it's yeah. reading the Bible and then meeting the minister. <laughs> like, okay, I'm getting in a totally different way. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so everyone was so helpful mm-hmm. and then I did annoy, like, uh, then I, I got put on the reckoning when I was at IO, like while I was in classes and then I got, um, then we all went through annoyance together. Yeah. That was a blast. Yeah. Mark Sutton was a total blast. They all were. I mean, Mark Sutton's one of my improv mentors. He's uh, a yeah. little dream. Finally got him out here. Yeah. He was just here in May after like two years of discussion. 
He was killer. Yeah, he's great. Great teacher, man. Mm-hmm. They all were, though. We were very lucky to have, like, Susan and mm-hmm. Joe Bill. And and you. it's the same with I.O. I had killer teachers. I had Jack McBrayer, nice. Dassey, wow. Kakowski. Uh. Do you know what I mean? I'm like, what? <laughs> Thank you. And Liz Allen. Yeah. And so I was glad that I went to the annoying, so I got Susan. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. I I got the best teachers. Yeah. And that makes, that's a huge thing. That's huge. a huge difference. Whether or not they go on to be, uh, you know, Kenny or... Kenny Chesney? Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, what's it, on 30 Rock. Uh, oh, totally. Not, yeah, they go on to be him or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or Kenny Chesney. Yes. Uh... Just, I'm thinking just, of the, the richest person in, in the showbiz. The richest Kenny that you knew? Yeah, I was like, well, you're talking about owning, you know, <laughs> multiple mansions in your own p- private ch- plane. Yeah. I assume you met Kenny Chesney. Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, re- whether or not they go on to uh, fame and fortune, yeah. just that that a good improv teacher really does make a make a big difference. And oh, my God. For me, Mark was uh, totally. Mark was like that. And I was lucky enough to TJ as a coach, so that was like, you know, sometimes I'm like... You, you did okay, Jeff. Thank you. Thank you, Improv Gods, for you have been looking out for me. You did all right. Uh, so that's pretty awesome that you took annoyance classes with The Reckoning. Um, one of the next things I want to talk about was The Reckoning. Oh, yeah. Uh, how did that come about? Because it is regarded <laughs> as one of... The best improv groups pretty much ever assembled. Uh, well, least, well I, when I was going kind. through I.O., uh, The Reckoning, for the most part, was still intact. In yeah. Uh, still doing shows regularly. I think maybe Brad Morris was on the main stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he may have been the only one that really wasn't around so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and even then, like, he'd make it when he could. Yeah. It was oh, all yeah. like, if they were in develop, developing yeah. the show, of course. They were. So when I was going through... You guys had a, a slot on Tuesday nights. I think Tuesday was later night, and then it was I think it was Thursday at eight. Yeah, you have an amazing memory. Uh, it wasn't too long ago. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I've blocked it all out. I can't remember. <laughs> it was a horrible experience. <laughs> I'm sorry to bring it up. No, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's a, it's a, I guess it's a, a good memory thing, but it's also where my training was and what was yeah, happening in my life totally. I can tell you exact was... scenes that John Lutz and Stephanie Ware did and yeah. who said what. Yeah. You're right. It's like it's like more for me like, oh yeah, we did do Thursdays. But yeah. then again, I can't remember my old scenes. Yeah. Uh, so you guys had Tuesday the experimental slot. Yeah. Upstairs. Hell 10 or yeah. 10.30. Hell yeah. Uh, Thursday night. So the reckoning was all over the place. Yeah. As far as, I mean, even YouTube. Mm-hmm. Which was still kind of young at that time. People we were... developed it. We started it. <laughs> <laughs> and you were rolling in the cash now. Well, I had met with Al Gore, and I was like, let's talk about what you're, what you're yeah. doing with the internet. Yeah, you invented this internet thing. I said, reckon he wants to start putting videos on him. And he said, none ever catch on. Videos. I feel. <laughs> and I said, I-, I feel like videos have caught on. Don't you feel like they're not a thing of the, that, that they're no. catching on no, on I computers? No, I think you guys did an awesome job. I think videos yeah. are definitely catching on on computers. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, we were... Big computers, too. <laughs> like, really big ones. <laughs> Those huge ones, like the size of fridges? Yeah. I prefer that. <laughs> I prefer them, like, the size. Is that the size of the first one? Well, I mean, the bigger the computer, the less likely it is you're going to be walking up the steps mm-hmm. and slow someone down behind you using one. Thank you. You know? <laughs> uh, the bigger the computer, the less likely it is to remove you from 
the society from the that situation. That is very, very it's, it's true. Smaller, it is. You're so right. <laughs> because it's just like, man, I gotta go, I mean, to my home. Yeah. Then I gotta roll it out of my closet. <laughs> you know what? I'm just gonna read a book. It's <laughs> so much easier. Computer is such a pain in butt. It takes an hour to turn on. That's when life is good. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. It's the reckoning, man. So the reckoning um, <laughs> is oh, it, well, we're ten ten people from the beginning to end, and that's yeah. all. I mean, that's all Sharna. She she is watched a bunch of shows and was like this person, this person, this person, this person, and she made this cocktail. Well, this wasn't your first team, right? I was on a team before, for like a few months. And then she, like, watched some shows. And then she also, I guess, got some recommendations on, like, people's student shows. Actually, when I was put on The Reckoning, I think I was just done with classes. So I'd been put on a team when I was in classes. Oh. God, I'm, like, losing track of that yeah. time. But it Which was, like... doesn't really happen. No. I mean, anymore. we were put on in, like, Level 2 back then. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. I think Holly... I just heard Holly say that. Yeah. And Level 2. Yeah. Right. Those were the good old days <laughs> when you got when you got just to play right away. You didn't get up in your head because everybody was hungry. Yeah, but I think Io does an awesome job of really trying. I I know Sharna is really committed to trying to get as many students like like performing. She doesn't want to make it so competitive. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the it's not her. It's the beast of more and more yeah. people moving to the yeah. mecca mm-hmm. that she's trying to adapt right. um, by having more theater space. Cause she, she wants the spirit of that place to feel like a community and a clubhouse. Yeah. And she doesn't want it to feel like one in a, a thousand gets put on a team. <laughs> you know, she, she's really yeah. sensitive to that of like, I want this to feel like everyone, you know, everyone gets mm-hmm. a chance, meaning it's not like, yeah. So competitive. It's not going to turn into like the Hunger Games yeah. or anything. <laughs> or those huge like equity calls of yeah. 600 people and one person mm-hmm. gets chosen. You're just like, oh. You get you do a three-line scene and that's that's your up or you're down. Yeah. So I think um, I like the spirit. <laughs> <laughs> I like the spirit of, of it is about trying to be as inclusive as, as possible. Yeah. So you did uh, one team. <laughs> Put on a team after... Oh, uh, level, level two level was two. killing it. Level two. <laughs> Me and almost everyone else, because everybody else was put on a team too. I feel bad back then because it would be like one person wasn't. That's worse. Nowadays yeah. it's like one person is put on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, went through annoyance. Uh, and then she she pieces together this, this yeah. great team. What do you think she was looking at when I she was piecing you guys together? Was there something I about each person? She was playing intuitive, I think. I mean, she and like she Jake also. up on, on Lost? Oh, I've never seen Lost. Uh, well, it was a pretty great reference that you just missed out on. <laughs> I'm gonna try, I'm gonna have to go and watch that and call well, you. He, like, oh. he always said that he he picked the people, uh, and I'm I'm spoiler as a spoiler. It's several years I'm, removed. I have no plan on uh, that. He the people in the that were crash landed on the island were yeah. picked were chosen for something specific oh. that they brought to the the show. I mean, that's what Sharna says is she was looking for a balance and people who would complement each other and ch- but yet ch- challenge each other and I think <laughs> that's exactly what we do. Yeah. And also, you know what the thing that's probably most significant about each of us is we're all insane about improv. I mean, we live yeah. and breathe and we love improv so no one ever had to t- be told to care and um, no one had to tell be told like, now improv is the art itself. It's not a, a ladder to get to. Like we already believed that yeah. we had arrived at the most beautiful thing by playing, and and so that's something that's really similar about like you watch Cook County or TJ and Dave or Shakespeare. And everybody's like playing as today was the last day of their life. Yeah, and it's so beautiful. Yeah. Um. So I think she saw that in all of us, and uh, 
yeah, we're lucky because I always tell people when they say like, you know, should I do a Herald? I was like, yeah, absolutely do a Herald team, but don't be afraid to make your own team because the, the chances of it being like a magical combination with 10 people might, you know, because you look at Cook County and you look Mm -hmm. at Michael Pizza and you look at groups that love each other like siblings, um, uh, children of lesser God, any group that puts themselves together and loves each other, you're like, they put themselves together and that might be a smart move as well. So I tell people to create independent teams. Yeah, absolutely. With the people that tickle you and inspire yeah. you and challenge you and who are pas- as passionate as you. Because I think that probably is the most important. Yeah. So, yeah. So, and then I think the other, the next step for the reckoning was really rehearsing twice a week. So we yes. rehearsed with Chad, who was uh, Shad, who was great for us because he was kind of like easygoing. He didn't have to tell us. Say Shad. Shad Kunkel. Kunkel, yeah. He didn't have to tell us. Great. I thought he was a perfect match for us because he was so like, like, um, he, he didn't whip us into shape. He kind of molded us where we were at and was like playful with us. And then, then TJ came in and really brought like his um, idea of group mind and, and art. Right. And I felt like TJ really um, put something in my head really early on. And I was so happy that he had said this. He said, you guys are all really great individuals. Um, you could be satisfied with that. Or you could decide to be a really like, connected group. Like that's the next level of this work. And he's like, and it's all your call. And it was like in our hands of like, do you want to be a bunch of individuals? Cause that exists out there. There's lots of groups with great individuals and it really resonated with yeah. me. So I think that was a huge turning point for us of like, yeah, there's a huge difference. And we see it all the time in, in movies about like yeah. baseball teams or basketball teams, where it's like, you'll only get to a certain place if you're all playing for yourself. But once you start playing for the team, it's like a spiritual experience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's true. Uh, you 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 said you, you were rehearsing twice a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you have other projects going on at the at the time? I think all of us did, but there yeah. were like just tons of little improv projects just to stay fresh. So I think another thing that was unique about the reckoning is we were always um, staying sharp every day. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's something. If you if you talk to anyone in the reckoning, I feel like. Even if it's not practicing improv, it's writing a sci-fi novel or reading something that inspires them to be more of them. And what I mean by that is like, you know, a lot of people in the reckoning specifically have very weird brains, but we nurture our weird brains by continuing to like go to an art museum or go to see a weird, bizarre, surrealist exhibit or, you know, read a book that like lets us dive deeper into our imagination. Mm -hmm. So, and I, I, I mean, my, my feeling I don't know what other people do maybe other people do that too but it's very unique to the reckoning like when I'm talking to Holly she's reading something some Tolkien but you know and talking about like the language of elvish you know and like she's so into that and then Jake's like you know deep into some like weird you know puppet show and you know I mean and like baseball. we're yeah. yeah and like we're all deep into many things so we st- we're staying sharp mm-hmm. in using our imaginations yeah so yeah we were busy in many ways, I think. Okay. Busy bees. Yeah. <laughs> How important would you... Well, I guess it, you kind of did say that it, w- it was a big thing that kind of helped the reckoning get to what it was faster, and that was the, the twice-a-week mm-hmm. twice deal. Was that uh, an easy decision for everybody to do? Even in Philly, which yeah. is a much smaller community, yeah. people are involved in so many different yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I was curious um, if there was any... And name names, too. Yeah. Who was after us? <laughs> Who tried to take us down? Uh, I have not forgiven them. No, <laughs> was there anybody that was kind of, uh, like, 
Well, we could do twice a week, but I'd rather not. Like anyone in the group? Yeah. Oh, God, no. We're no, all like stage horse. Yeah, okay. I mean, but I think that um, at the time... I.O. Uh, on Tuesday nights, it was rehearsal space at yeah. 10.30. So yeah. we started rehearsing. We thought, we're going to learn more just by putting this up. Yeah. So we started making Tuesday like an open rehearsal. That's yeah. what we called it. And I just put quotes around that. Yeah. And then it turned to turn to show, and it was our rec- it was like our alternative slot. And that meant a lot of things. That sometimes we would put up solo stuff. We'd put up yeah. sketch. We'd, we'd redo like the pilot episode of Twin Peaks <laughs> and play multiple characters or What About Bob out of order. I saw What About Bob. Insane. <laughs> yeah. uh, I love it. Like we, And that's what that slot was for is to really play. And then um, then when we got real busy at the very end, we had to give up one or the other. So we gave up Thursday, just did Tuesday. And now we actually just took a break in Chicago because enough of us were so busy. But now we have a weekly show in L.A. because there's enough of us. No shit. Yeah, and we're getting a wow. fifth. Uh, where in LA? And we'll have our largest contingent in LA. Yeah. Oh god, yeah, it has to be. It's our it's our home. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> no, no, no. Wait, but could you imagine if we're like born and raised at IO and we decided to take <laughs> this? Sharna would cry. She'd be like, "Why are you leaving me?" <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's, that's pretty great. Uh, how many of who who performs regularly? It's Brad and Eric Honeycutt and. Um, BJ and myself, and then Holly's coming out in fall, and it is awesome. She's moving out? Yeah. Her and Greg? Gregory. Oh, well. Mm-hmm. I think that's his great. full name's Gregory. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's a hit for Chicago. Oh, I mean, each, so each time one of you guys is <laughs> gone, there's been uh, a void, but there's mm-hmm. also been opportunity mm-hmm. uh, for, for other people. That's course. a great way of looking at it, because yeah. I honestly was back this week, and I was watching all these people play, and I was like... I had to get out because it's not fair to, to, I mean, don't get me wrong, because people want to stay their whole lives, yeah. and that's really important because people need to see these artists. Yeah. But at the same time, part of me was like, i got to make room for someone. You know? There's all these yeah. awesome performers up and coming, and I'm like, they got to learn how to take, I remember when Michael O'Brien left, I cried because I thought, the reason I cried was, I have to get better now because the best is leaving. And so I had to get better. Yeah. And I just remember crying of like, that's the scariest thing in the world because our biggest fear is being yeah. great. Yeah. And so I just, not knowing why, I'm like, why am I crying? I'm like, I'm so scared of having to get better. Yeah. Because he was always leading the charge for everything. He was the bravest and the most artful guy in the room. And I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. And then I did, I had to buck up. And then I thought, all right, now I got to go because, you know. You got you got to be like someone take the reins. <laughs> I'm not gonna because yeah. you produce. I mean, you know when we you love to write and perform and create conceptual shows, mm-hmm. you produce them. But somebody else needs to learn those those skills of producing. Yeah, putting something up. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of work too. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is. Pat O'Brien, yeah. P.O.B. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had him as a teacher. Yeah. I had Bo as a coach. Oh. I had Jake as a coach. Oh my god! I had Holly as a teacher. Um, I'm trying to remember if I—I I don't think that I've had you as a as a coach. No. I think you've coached. Yeah, I think you did a session or two with a group I was in, but I wasn't able to be there. It was um, with Jack uh, Jack Farrell, if you, uh-huh. if you remember Jack and, and Joe Phillips, oh, uh, yeah. Michael Maltz. Um, so I've had. Most of the totally. of the reckoning, which is pretty great, oh, uh, because you guys you, you you talked a minute ago, by minute maybe ten fifteen ago, 
uh, about <laughs> TJ. Yeah, it was two hours ago. It's a little wormhole uh-huh. of, of a podcast uh, about TJ and talking about the group mind. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that definitely became your signature style. The style of The Reckoning mm-hmm. was just that one team, one dream sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and at the, when I was going through I.O., you were all mostly teaching, too. Yeah. You taught at I.O., right? Uh-huh. Yeah, Holly, uh, Pat, like I said, yeah, Jake. teachers. So you guys also influenced uh, myself oh. and, uh, like, pretty much a, a, a generation, if, if I can oh, quote, nice. of... Uh, of about five years of, yeah. of Chicago. So there were a lot of improvisers coming out that were really pushed in that style of um, yeah. more patient play. Yeah. When I started to leave, you guys were, were kind of spread to the, yeah. the winds. Yeah. I don't know if that's a saying. <laughs> uh, but I think you know it what I mean. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I feel like the play of people started mm. to change, too, as a mm. result. Uh, so from like that's 2000... Eight, mm-hmm. it, it felt like things started getting faster. Mm-hmm. Play started getting faster. Uh, you had a couple teachers um, uh, that were on stage also. So mm-hmm. they, they would be teaching in class, and you'd see like uh, Craig Euler, mm-hmm. uh, Jim Carlson, a middle aged comeback, yeah. which is amazing. Totally. But it's so different. Totally. Uh, and it's an awesome pairing, too, if it's still happening with 3033, because those guys also uh-huh. were much more slow, much more patient yeah. uh, players. Uh, but the question that I was yeah, kind of this. building up to... I love listening to this theory. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. I can tell you shop all day. I'm like, oh, okay. All right. So that's what's happening right now. Uh, is, first of all, did you think of that as as all of you were teaching? That there was this, almost this unified feel you were putting out? I don't think so. I don't think we talked about it. I think it's just that... We were lucky enough to meet our little soulmates of improv, and then we went out and we had a similar style of teaching, but but yeah. yet still, what I think what makes the reckoning so fun for me is we're all very unique at the same time. Yeah. Lots of overlap, and like you t- take any pair of us, and there's overlap, yeah. but it's different. Yeah. And what we were so lucky about in the last like two years is because the group was getting smaller, we'd always show up and there'd be two to three to four to five players, yeah. and that was really magical because yeah. it was such a different show. Mm-hmm. Um. And we all balance each other in different ways. And then you have to adjust depending on who's there. So it's like, okay, okay, got got this person and this person. Okay, how do I kind of bring more energy? Or, oh, I don't have to bring energy because we got so-and-so, but, like, I got to ground this a little bit more. And you're not thinking of that, like, literally behind stage going, I've got it. But you feel it. It's intuitive of, like, okay, you listen to the piece. And it's really more after the show you realize what you try to do to balance. Because I'm a big believer in you balance the piece. That's what you're doing the whole time. You're walking a tightrope with a piece. Yeah. It's a dance. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to write down balance because that's, a good word. that's something I, yeah, because <laughs> I've never heard it before and it sounds pretty cool. Uh, I want to get back to a little bit of that, but, uh, as far as teaching yeah. goes, what would you say your general feel is oh. your, your general philosophy? Cause you've been through IO, you've been yeah. through the annoyance. I know you're uh, kind of big into physical, mm-hmm. physical work. Totally. Um, so how would you describe your... Oh, goodness yeah, gracious. Your... I mean, currently, I feel like my teaching is um, inspired by a lot of the different things I do. I I try to incorporate whatever I'm studying. And so I've studied with Plasticine and Black Box and Paolo Coletto and 500 Clown and Philippe Goulier mm-hmm. in the past few years. And then also even a lot of stuff from my grad school I pull in. And then definitely stuff from TJ and Dave. But I also 
you know, watch a ton of Cook County and I really admire what they do with the fluidness of their shows and the level yeah. of play. Yeah. And then I still try to bring in the sort of, um, uh, artful and meta qualities of the reckoning mixed with, you know, the patience and the, like, we're very, um, I, I mean, I guess the word for the reckoning is between patient, artful and connected, I think is really what you, you know, you walk away with. We're not afraid to go dark. Yeah. If anything, we we're really quick to make fun of ourselves because we love ghosts and we love... I've seen some great love, ghost scenes from The Reckoning. We're very, like, into the magical world. You know, magical yeah. and meta tends to be where we live to yeah. a fault. Sometimes, because we could hang out in scenes where there's a mermaid and a wizard and a ghost all fucking day. Yeah. And we're like, guys, no more ghosts on trains. We've had too <laughs> many ghosts on trains this week. You know, so we, we were really quick to make fun of how yeah. much we love that. Yeah. Um, even last night I just did a little scene in the, um, in the sh- show on, uh, where you match up with somebody. Oh, the key party. Yeah, it was oh, so were, fun. You made, you made it down. I jumped in and, and, um, I noticed that I'm like, God, I cannot let go of it because I played a woman who lived in the walls and I was like, well, of course I did that because what the hell, when do I, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I'll always try to go to that place where it's kind of magical, yeah. but we just accept it. It's really what, it's a huge thing that gets me off is imagination and having no boundaries with it. But then at the same time, 100% committing to the truth of that so that we're not commenting on it and being like, you live in the walls? Why? Let's justify that. But it's more like in this world, people can live in the walls and go up yeah, to the attic and go to and go through these magical tunnels. Yeah. So that's something that really gets me off. So in teaching, I really try to push people to go to live in their imaginations, like to push and to go deep. You know, we would love to get into almost a dreamlike state when we're performing that we don't have boundaries of what makes sense. Yeah. Um, I love to physically pursue my wants. I see a lot of um, theater that's very like stoic and psychological, but not dangerous, not courageous. Mm-hmm. And so I push people to pursue it. Today's the day to like go after your want and play characters that have um, huge like heartbeats, you know? Yeah. Even if it means that they're resistant, they're fully resistant. And um, I think my philosophy is to be as present as possible. I mean, that's probably like here now, that's it. That's what we actually come to see. We come to the theater to see you be present. And so if you do nothing else and you do that, people will probably go pretty nuts for that. Um, To risk, you know, emotionally, to risk by wanting something. And I'm not saying walk on and want something, like decide, but in the the moment, dig in and figure out what you want and go for it. Um, I like absolutely no planning. I, I'm at the point now where I think when you walk on stage, you should be completely clear of mind. Okay. So I don't even, I say at most you pull a seed, meaning you change your body or your voice a tiny bit, or you just pull a tiny little word in your head, but that's it. Because anything more is going to start to um, slow down your reaction time to what's actually happening because you're going to be holding on to the past. Because anytime you come in with a concept, that's now the past because you've just walked on stage. <laughs> and so your filter is like kind of like, oh, does that work with my idea? And your ego is like, oh, judgment, yeah. judgment. But if you just walk on stage, you'll always, always say you do your best improv when you're improvising. And yeah, I mean, I found that to be true. I yeah. always do my best improv when I'm clear. And I get that a lot. I get inspired a lot by watching people like TJ or Tim Robinson. When I watch them, the reaction time is very quick, but... They also are able to jump on 100% to whatever's happening because yeah. I don't think that they're, my guess is they're, they have no attachment issues where they're holding on. They, I think on, on a level, they, their bodies truly trust that whatever they make up in the moment will always be better than anything they could have come up with before. Yeah. So there, I, I mean, I guess to make an analogy, it's like the parachute you grab right then is better than anyone that, you know, 
that you brought on with you. It's like, just yeah. go with what's happening right now. So when you come into a scene, mm-hmm. uh, you, let's say you don't, you don't have any emotion uh, in your head. You just, everything is reaction to what's already. Cause there's what a ton. Partner. Yes. Yeah. An empty stage is information. Yeah. Um, a partner out there and the way they're looking at you and the way they're standing, yeah. but then you have to make any crazy bold choices. So here's the dilemma yeah. of improv. You have to make incredibly bold choices, but you can't be attached to them. And that is a great metaphor for life. Yeah. How do you make insanely bold choices and then let them go? Because the minute we make a choice, the ego is like, oh my God, I made this choice. Do I like it? Should I stand by it? And they say that people who, um, who do really well, like in business, are willing to make bold choices and they're also willing to accept that that wasn't right and then adjust. And so I'm like, oh, it's kind of the same in improv. Like, make a bold choice, and if it's not serving the scene, morph it, change it. I'm not saying we never, like, throw something away, but we're, we're willing to adjust and, and morph to what's happening right here and now. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, I think a lot of people think of me as kind of a real physical player, so I tend to teach physical improv, but that's more, for me, it's like, I want to watch people go after their wants. So I always just say, like, physicalize your, your want. Um, I notice um, a real lack of connecting on stage and one way we can tell is people don't look at each other did a show once with my friend paul and people after said you know what's so funny about your show you guys look at each other and i was like i'm sorry what you know because there's so much improv around the world that people turn out because it's more presentational i don't think that's necessarily wrong but it's like well that's one style so if you want to create balance in your show that should only be one scene yeah kind of like you're doing a cartoon version of something that's fine but then that has to be the seed of joy is that you're not connecting and that has to tickle you you have to acknowledge that that's a choice to not connect and then there's almost connection in poking fun of the fact that you're not connecting but if it's not you're not aware that you're not even like your heart and your eyes aren't towards turned at all towards each other during the scene at all, what are you working off? So I'd say the majority of improv I watch looks like two solo shows that are in agreement that they won't mess each other up. That's what it looks like to me. Most improvs like, you're cool, you're talented, I'm talented. We'll kind of be on stage together and we'll kind of like let each other do their own thing and kind of not be affected too much by each other. Not even maybe be affected by ourselves. And I'm like, then what? what? You know? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, one of the things I've heard you talk about before is, uh, the importance of being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, why is that so important? There's a great Ted talk, so I'm not even going to answer that. I think you just have to watch <laughs> this Ted talk. <laughs> There's a great Ted talk on this, but in it, I mean, she talks about how courage and vulnerability are deeply connected. And when we're vulnerable, it's like our courage to be ourselves. And I was like, oh my God, that's exactly what it is. And like I said, when people come to see a show, they actually come to see you, the you in the moment. And yeah, like, of course, I love to play characters, but underneath them, Jet is playing those characters and you have to feel to feel Jet. And that's like that whole Dell expression of like thinly veiled. Yeah, where does it veil? Yeah. Yeah, it's like, don't get me wrong. Your characters can be incredibly rich and have tons of depth. And when you look at them, they you have to search to find the actor underneath. That's beautiful. But underneath, there's not a disconnect. It's not like yeah. the actor's dead and the character lives. Yeah. It's like the actor is the puppeteer. Yeah. But the way they move the puppet, you can almost tell like, oh, the way they're moving the puppet, you can learn about the, the actor. Yeah. So I feel like for me, I'm not somebody who really enjoys being myself um, on stage. I love being myself in life. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> like, I mean, I don't have that issue of like, I hate myself. But more like on stage, 
I really love playing characters because for me, it's what tickles me. And then the true me kind of comes out through them because I'm being tickled by the fact that I'm playing these characters. Yeah. Um, if I end up just going up and talking as myself, I feel like, well, then let's just be real and talk. Like, this isn't what tickles me. It doesn't, it's not what pulls out my clown. Yeah. Uh, how much pressure do you feel to be funny in a scene? I mean, I think there's a part of me, I think the ego always feels pressure. So it's just keeping the ego in check. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I create a lot of practices to keep my ego balanced. And that might be in life. Like, I think yoga is a really great way to keep your ego balanced because if you never, just like improv, you never get it. So it tells your ego, this is a journey, yeah. this is a journey, there's not a destination. Because the ego loves the idea that there's a there's a final destination. If, the, if I kill this one show, then I'll be done. <laughs> then all the great things will come into my life. And you're like, no. And if like, you get this one pose, then your life yeah. changes. And then you realize it doesn't. And then some days you don't get the pose and you're like, oh, I'm still happy. Oh, yeah. So... I think, like, having practices to, to manage the ego, and I, I mean, the goal isn't to crush the ego, it's to balance it. It's like a little dragon that you keep on a leash that's a cute little dragon that's there if you need it. <laughs> when someone's really terrible, you're like, well, here's my dragon, I can yeah. stick up for myself. But it has to be on the leash, otherwise you're just, like, ruled by it. And, and so before show, you know, I, I try to um, be good to myself and feel as as energized as possible so that I can play because that's what keeps it in check is like playing in the moment mm -hmm. then the ego decreases there was something recently um, there's a great book called The Big Leap and the writer talks about when you work in your zone of he calls it the zone of genius mm -hmm. um, his name's Gay Hendricks and he talks about if you work in your zone of e genius, your ego sh shrinks completely because you don't need it anymore because you're in flow, because you're happy, you're doing what you love. If you're in a state of play, your ego doesn't need to come out. So it's not about destroying your ego. It's about saying you're allowed to take a nap. Right. So I try to, on stage, tickle myself, do things that are vulnerable on stage because the minute you're vulnerable, you get this like surge of energy where it's slight embarrassment mixed with courage yeah. and all of a sudden you get the tick, you get the kind of almost like the giggles. So I try to, when I coach and direct, I try to get people past the point that they're comfortable so that they'll feel that energy and then they start to almost crack. And I'm like, that's where you want to live on stage yeah, right. where you're almost cracking because you feel so vulnerable. Like you're like, well, it's not super comfortable to use this voice or to do this body or to react this way or to yeah. say something so silly in response. And I'm like, but that's where you have to live because otherwise if you don't take that risk, then you have to be in the audience. You know, the stage is for those who are willing to risk. I like that. I like that a lot. Uh, I wrote down Big Leap. Yeah, it's a good one. But uh, that's like, for me, it's like, do whatever that is to get... What was your question? Oh, they, like, worried about sure, being funny. Because yeah. I think that's, a, you know what I mean? Like, being funny, being smart, they're all relative. It's like how you look. Mm -hmm. So I hope I answered that. That's what I was going to say. Uh, to go back to balance a little bit, uh, let's say there's a, a scene that takes place that's super fast, uh, super funny, and, and you are starting the next scene. What are mm -hmm. you doing? Yeah, totally. I mean, I kind of like to play from a more visceral place than a primal place. So my, I'm hoping that the early on when I'm like let's put it this way, early on in someone's improv career, you kind of have to break this art, art down to a science and say like, okay, what's the balance of that? Stoic, standing, soft voice, you know, like we can break it down. What's yeah. the opposite? Grounded characters, more of a real feel, connected through relationship. That's all the opposite of bouncing off the wall and crazy characters. So any of those could work. We don't need all of them, but one of those could work as the seed to balance it. 
So if I, if I needed to go up into my brain and be like, what's an opposite? I could pull one. But over time, your body just goes to the opposite. It's just like a martial art where you don't need that reaction time to be like, oh, this block, your body knows what block yeah. is best or what, what sort of move. So when I look at shows that I really enjoy, we are practicing what I call like yin to yang. Like one scene, whatever it is, where if it's at the very front of the stage, an opposite could be working at the back of the stage. So we're breaking space. We're playing opposite in space. Um, the distance from each other really matters. Like if you okay. study that viewpoints work, you know, the um, energy of the relationship could really, diff- you know, be different. Like if you're starting, if the one scene started kind of at odds, you know, yeah. so if you start Meisner, you're like, oh, I get it. Then we kind of come in and we come in with a softer face and a softer gaze and see yeah. where that goes. So that, that to me would be like, oh, the minute you go bonkers, you earn the next scene to do something more soft and real and patient. The audience actually is craving it. Mm-hmm. Then you earn that soft, gentle, grounded scene, that well-acted scene. And then the next scene, you earn blue. You get to go dirty because you just showed them, like, listen, yeah. everything's a choice. We we can make choices, and we, we went beautiful, so now we've earned dirty. And then, like, once you go dirty, well, then we'll go stylistic and do beautiful, like, you know, Shakespearean or Tennessee Williams scene because then the audience is like, whoa, and they can't, they can't keep up. You're always one step ahead of them because you're in, in alignment with what the show needs. Yeah. So I'm always like going, what is the yin to the yang? And there's a million yins to every yang. <laughs> Just pick one. Okay. Uh, how important, uh, or how much the, uh, influence does the, the whole game aspect uh, influence mm-hmm. uh, have on you? That there was there was a yeah. better phrase question. No, I totally got what you're saying. You want to talk the game, and I'll tell you, I love the game. Um, you know, this is what I would say for people who, you know, had that question a lot of times. People who study like UCB, the game is such yeah. a huge part of the philosophy there, and um, and I'm like, I think if you if you love playing game first, I think that's like lovely. And I say like, that's a, a great place to go. Cause that's sort of their game first. And then I think, and then you follow everything else for me. Um, I kind of do, I let the game be born and almost always a game is born. Yeah. And, um, because like game is as old as time and game comes from commedia. It's called Lotsi or the game of clown, right? Mm-hmm. It's like a repetitive behavior pattern. Mm-hmm. So it's like, Game is always born if you're super receptive. Always. There's always games in everything. Yeah. So, to me, there's not a right game. There's the hot game. And you you train your body to know where the most heat is. The other sort of philosophy is if you watch Cook County, they play many games at once so that you can't keep up with their gameplay. And I think that's really awesome because yeah. they don't pick one game. They pick a game, they spin a plate, and that's a philosophy they use. They spin a plate. Once it gets going, they pick up another plate. They, they but they make sure they drop. They don't drop that first plate. Right. I've seen them spin eight plates in a yeah. scene, and the audience cannot keep up. Yeah. And you could say, well, is that like gameplay? And I'm like, yeah, it's like of a whole nother level because they're just through the art of playing yeah. and being hyper receptive. Games come yeah. like motherfuckers. And that's a great <laughs> analogy for what they do too, because I'm just like picturing the the plates, yeah. and they can go 25 minutes, yep, and then they'll get back to that plate that's now kind of like wobbling, almost I mean, falling over, and then they great. just go brrr, yeah, and we're like, because yeah. we didn't know if they forgot it, yeah, but they didn't because they yeah. have great memories, yep. And I think that's why they remind me of a basketball team because it takes five people who love the same thing yep. to spin that 
many plates. Now, the reckoning isn't as hard of game players, but we're at the same time, it depends who, who's there. Because some of us have a little bit of the, um, the the clown in us loves the game too. So, like you know, BJ and Pat love a, a hard game, you know. Yeah. And so uh, it's like if it's boring, we'll play it. I think it's just that none of us feel at all handcuffed to like where's the game because they're always born. And for me, I love a um, a little bit more of like there's this great book called Why Is That So Funny, and he talks about game, and he said you know in in clown there's there's the guy's name's John Wright, W-R-I-G-T. <laughs> I'm writing it down. Um, he talks about the game, and he talks about the internal and the, and the exposed game, like or the hidden game and the exposed game. And you see it all the time in improv, where there's the exposed game, meaning we all see the game and we saw how you got it. Right. And that's a lot of game work, I would say, that I see. It's like, we, you're with us. You're not ahead of us. There, we get the game. Sure. In an exposed game, there's something really important that needs to happen. Because the minute the audience knows the game, it's very simple. So you better be having the most fun you can in that game because that's what we're here to see is the fun in the game. Yeah. Because it's a simple game and it's not mind blowing and it's not baffling us. So joy is really an important component in that gameplay. And I see that a lot with, um, with Cook County. They actually do hidden games and exposed games at the same time. They have a few hidden games, which means they get it. Mm-hmm. And they're one step ahead of the audience. And the exposed game is when they're all tickling Brennan Jennings and he's crying like a baby, Brandon. screaming, and they keep on interrogating him. And part of the interrogation is them tickling him. Yeah. But we all know that game. Yeah. Like, none of us are baffled by it. But boy, is it fun. We just are sitting there like little yeah. monkeys waiting for them to tickle him again for him to scream. Mm-hmm. Because there's pure joy. And it's real. So hit, ex- exposed games have to be a little bit more on the primal and tactile side because they're so simple. Right. So the repercussions is like of the human body. <laughs> That's the repercussion is it hurts or it makes you uncomfortable or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then the, the hidden game I think is what's missing a little bit in improv, which is like the example he gives in the book is um, during a, when Dustin Hoffman was in, um, what's the movie dressed up like a woman? Tootsie. Tootsie, thank you. I was like, I'm like, gypsy. I cannot find my words today. And Tootsie, there's a moment where he has to reveal to his manager that he is um, a man and his and they just couldn't get the right reaction, and so um, or reveal the truth. I can't remember at that moment he's revealing that he's been dressed up like a woman, but he's revealing something. And so finally, Justin Hoffman went and grabbed his you know nuts like real mm-hmm. quickly during the scene to give him that jump, and it worked. But the audience doesn't understand why it's working, but it's working. So mm-hmm. it's a hidden <laughs> a yeah. hidden game meaning yeah. there's something between the performers that the audience isn't quite on board yet, but it works and it gives what the piece needs. So if that keeps on happening and it's repeated, we can call that a game. Mm-hmm. So sometimes, um, the more subtle sides of those games and that to me is lovely. So I like in a dream world in a scene, I want a few hidden games and a few exposed games in one scene. Okay. On top of the fact that I want it to be grounded in some other type of play in case we ever want to breathe from the game, it won't be an issue. It's not like the audience is only hanging on to the game. So it's like we've got a rich environment. We're super connected, right. and the, uh, and the characters have really intense points of view. And bonus, if you have some physicalized character with a really unique voice, it's like bonus. You know, it's like then you've got. I always use the analogy of like we'll drink wine that tastes like grapes, but we much prefer a wine that's like complex that has like eight different flavors. Always, we'll yeah. still drink it. We'll still get drunk. So I watch yeah. a lot of improv that's very literal. Yeah. Very, very literal. It's like, hey, we're sitting outside. We're having ice cream. And I'm like, yeah, well, we see that. Yeah. It's, everything's literal. Whatever you're talking about is what you're feeling. 
So the biggest thing I encourage improvisers to do is to get beyond commenting, which is talking about what you see, right. what you feel, and how you physicalize. Because it's like the minute you have a bizarre quality, I feel the need to speak to it. It doesn't feel real natural, you know? And so, and that's just the actor being amazed right. by the fact that they're employing their imagination, so they have to label it, but it lets out all the air and tension yeah. of the scene. Yeah. Uh, Jake was real good at pointing a lot of that stuff out, too. Like, he, he loved tension in the scene. Like, anything yeah. you would do in a scene, like, even yeah. going like that, he's like, just keep your hand in the air. And he would yell, too. Yeah. He would yell at us. Uh, it was a musical improv duo, Tin Sanders, that we did in Chicago. Yeah. Uh, and he would he did some weird shit, too. Yeah, yeah. Like, having us do, like, push-ups doing scenes. I don't know if he was just fucking with us or what. Huh. Uh, but it was... He was awesome. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, that's one of the things that he definitely would focus on is just the, the tension within a scene. I think Jake's not afraid to be weird. No, I think no. so many people are afraid of what they look like. Yeah. And I think Jake is really fantastic about not worrying what the audience thinks of him. So he's willing to live in tension and yeah. not explain everything. And I think if we all own that a little bit more and weren't afraid that the audience thinks that we're weird, if we all... Because, I mean, I, I've been getting yeah. that for years where people are like, you're crazy, you're weird. And I was like, no, I'm not. And then finally, I think a dear friend of mine was like, Bichette, you are weird. <laughs> like, think about your brain. And I was like, yeah. And then I had some students who were like, you don't think like anyone I've ever met. And I was like, okay, I'm weird. All right. All right. And then I can go deeper into yeah. it and I don't fear it. So I think that will release a lot of that commenting. It's like not being afraid to look weird. Yeah. Uh, so getting students past the, just the, the commenting yeah. on what you're doing, where you're at, who you're with, uh, and All just living it. through it. All of it. Like, yeah. If you want to comment, write a book. <laughs> you yeah. want to live in it, act. Okay. Uh, a few quick things. Well, a few. The questions will be asked quickly. I've never heard uh, <laughs> Just in terms of things that are said a lot in improv, just to get your take on them. Yeah. Don't ask questions. Yeah. I never teach in the negative. I find that it never has helped me or anyone I've taught. Mm-hmm. So I don't teach any of that. How what would you how would you deal with that? I I don't teach any rules. <laughs> I don't Good. teach any anything like that. I watch so much improv of advanced performers mm -hmm. that aren't affected by each other, that aren't receptive, that aren't absorbing what's happening, that aren't connected to each other. The least of my worries is what comes out of their mouth. <laughs> So yeah. when we coach or direct by saying, here's the objective of this to come out of your mouth, we're treating acting as if it was the art of talking. And it's the art of acting, which is action. And how do you teach action? You can't. It's experiential. Yeah. So get people up and side coach them in the beautiful things they're already doing so that their body learns to chase beauty and truth. And then the god of comedy will get jealous and follow them. Do you, this is touching on that a bit, um, I don't know how I feel about it, and I'm pretty sure I can tell how you feel about <laughs> it, uh, but how, how important would you say it is for improvisers to look at themselves as actors? Um, I think you kind of have to in order to be fearless about re recept being receptive. Yeah. So I think in general, it's empowering, it's an empowering word, because acting means to react and it means to be connected on stage and that's what we're doing as improvisers. we just don't have scripts that's the only difference mm -hmm. well then i wouldn't change the word 
we're just actors, directors, writers, dancers, poets, all at once. That's all. Yeah. But we're not less actors. We're just yeah. five, five, six things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Editors, things. Yeah. I'm going to throw that in there. Singers, potentially, if we get pimped into it, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that, um, I think we have to embrace actor, but then it's just, it's kind of like being a, it, like, it's kind of like Hinduism. You can be Catholic, right? Can't you, can't you be like, I, I don't have to choose one goal, mm-hmm. one God. You know, so it's like with improv, we don't have to choose one God. We get to be like actors and writers and directors. It's very empowering. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, uh, uh, Brian Posen once said in a, in a lecture, he said, you know, I don't teach in the negative because if I tell you right now, don't think about blinking, don't think about blinking, don't think about blinking, don't think about blinking. What are you thinking about? Blinking. So yeah. he's like, I always teach in the affirmative and I do too. And even in the affirmative, I would say I'd go one step further and perhaps I'm even more of a hippie that I don't teach any rules. Even in the affirmative, I don't teach rules. Mm-hmm. but I am very, very strict teacher. I mean, like I ride people and I, and I pinch them and I spank them. I'm very, very strict. I do. I yeah. mean, I, well, I'll be at your workshop <laughs> yeah. tomorrow. So I will, I don't let, for some writing. Totally. I don't, <laughs> I don't, um, I don't let anybody get away with messy habits because perfect practice, meaning perfect, meaning, um, being available to each other. So I ride people on being available, like back to that moment, back to like feeling. Yeah. So you don't get past the moment. What would be, and I'm sure you mentioned yeah. them already, what would be a messy habit? Um, not absorbing each other, okay. not being affected by each other. So people are already up in their head. They're looking at 45 degree land, like not at each other and not at their world. Well, when in life do you not look in someone's eyes right. or look at like the short distance or long distance world? Yeah. You're either looking out the window, looking at your watch, checking your phone or looking in someone's eyes. If you're in a, if you're in on stage or in, if you're in life with someone. Right. Yet I see people on stage and they're either looking up or looking at a 45 degree angle because they're up in their brain thinking about their solo show. And I'm like, hell no, you didn't come here to learn solo work. Otherwise I'm not doing my job. If it said solo performance on it, Mm -hmm. then you're doing fucking great. But I don't think you were here for solo work and you paid too much money. In my opinion, you paid too much money for me not to ride you into the moment. And then when you're in the moment, you're like, Oh, usually people are like, Oh, this feels so good. And I'm like, all you had to do is just tweak some old habits and let go a little bit of the desire to look good. And boom, it's just like a Tai Chi teacher walking around and just making little adjustments on your finger, but you're going slow enough that they can. So I slow all the play down in, in a, in a workshop setting, slow it all down to make all those little tweaks to get into what I think is healthier habits. So that we're more in the habit of giving our chest and eyes to people so that we have to absorb it when you throw something my way that's energetic and yeah. not just words. We're just usually turned out and listening to words and waiting for a quick-witted thought yeah. to come into our head of like, what's something funny? So we're chasing the god of comedy and the god of comedy is so fickle. We usually catch it once or twice in a show. <laughs> but as my teacher always says, Paolo Coletto, she's like, I leave the show and I'm like, gold. I have no feeling, you know? And it's true. It's like, you're cold. You're like, yeah, that was very witty, but I'm like, I could have gotten that from a book and yeah. it would have been cheaper and I could have just stayed in. Uh, I could have watched porn right after. Okay. Uh, so I don't need to ask about saying no in a scene. <laughs> uh, See, to me, the rule is if it's character driven, it's fine. Right. And you have to be honest. And most people are honest. They're honest mm-hmm. humans. We all know our own truth. So I said, was that you or your character? And we're like, oh, if you say no as the actor, no, no, <laughs> yeah. no. You said no as the actor. But if you are a character that's like, no, no way. You know, it's like, well, that that's the character's point of view. Yeah. So if you're always up in your head judging everything you do, are you in a state of play? Yeah. Well, I don't want to watch you. I pay too much money to watch you be in a judgmental state. Mm-hmm. So 
I'm not worried about questions because questions can be empowering. Yeah. If they come from a character yeah. who's baffled by life. Yeah. Uh, one of the big annoyance things is the whoop, yeah. uh, is the how, mm-hmm. like how things are said, how yeah. things, how things are yeah. heard. Yeah. Uh, so it's all how. So I mean yeah. that's that's like uh, I'm the education director for yeah. fit. So I'm heavily annoyance and IO focused. Yeah. So that's mainly what our curriculum yeah. is inspired by. Yeah. Uh, is kind of bringing some of those things together and filtering yeah. it through me and some of the other instructors. Uh, so we don't teach, uh, for the most part, uh, any kind of rules, especially once people get to me. Yeah. It's uh, it's more just the the how. Like you can mm-hmm. ask questions. Questions can give information. Totally. And uh, how you say it. But that's uh, true about life, isn't it? Yeah. It's all about the how. Mm-hmm. It's how we do things. <laughs> um, I like McNamara's book a lot. Yeah. Like I I would say it's like kind of dangerous sometimes. Like he even says it's funny. Like reading too much about the art, you know, <laughs> you read mm-hmm. about it and you get up in your head. But I think his book's great. I think Greg Tavares's book from uh, Theater Ninety Nine is great because it's a little bit more about the um. Art and balance of it, and not rule driven. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You want to? Well, this is Scott. He must have just gotten in. Do you want to pause him? Is that okay? Yeah. Yay! You guys, he's here. We're having a show tonight. That was Scott Atzit. Yeah. Uh, Travel all went well. This is his second time here. I think. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he performed with Christina oh, a few a couple years ago. Cool. He's so good. God, he's good. God, he's, he's annoyingly good. good. I know it. Um, and joyfully good. <laughs> Uh, we were talking teaching and your philosophy and uh, no's and Mm -hmm. uh, rules and blah, blah, blah. I wanted to get to, because you brought it up a couple times, how did you get into clowning? I just took a class. Well, that'll, (laughs) moving on. (laughs) I mean, there's no secret. But here's the thing, I believe this with everything, it's the teacher. So I don't think you can do anything and say, well, I tried that and I don't like it. Right. I think it's just like yoga, I'll practice any style of yoga, it's more the teacher. It's the same with clown, it's the same with miser, it's the same with improv, it's who the teacher is. It's do you connect to the teacher, because if they're passionate, they bring that and that's all that really matters. I mean, is there anything more important in life than passion? No. And Scott was just saying when I was saying I was babbling on and on about my theories, he was like, be interested. That's more interesting. Like the person, and it's so true on stage. If you use your imagination, you employ your imagination and you're interested, that's the most interesting thing. And that was a huge part of what I learned from clown. It was the first time I'd ever heard that expression was in a clown class. Nobody's ever really truly, not nobody, but like they're, a lot of times when we're performing, we go into this performance mode where we're like, do you find me interesting? And you lose all your energy. You're hanging on the audience, desperate, versus the person who gives themselves on stage by living in their imagination. They're interested in the coffee they're drinking, and suddenly we're just sucked in. We're like, what are they drinking? (laughs) (laughs) That's a, I mean, just a quick uh, side side thing. Uh, Can't think of words. Uh, I have a hard time with words, too. What, or how much attention do you pay the audience when you're in a scene? type of show like in in clown you break the fourth wall but here's what i think i think it's a um it's a little bit more in the subconscious but you're playing you're still i don't think you put up such a thick fourth wall that you're like we're going to do the show we're going to do the audience is an aspect of that being present and um like i referenced earlier tim robinson is so great it's like so is brendan jennings they play the energy of the room they don't they don't 
pander to the audience, but they play with the audience. They're like, come on, because there's a group mind of the audience. And yeah. when you watch them play, they have their natural clowns where they're playing. Like if they do something that works, they know how to like weave it back in. And could we call it a game? Yeah. But what we're also calling it is like they can, you take what the audience connects to and you ride it like a wave. Yeah. So it's like, I think it's dangerous to say fuck the audience or, um, I don't know, to leave them out. Like, they're part of the experience. That's what makes this art form so awesome yeah. is to not be afraid of them but and to not pander them, to ride that balance. Is Once again, it's a tightrope. I like to treat it almost like they're your children where it's like you got to, you know what's best for them, but you adjust. Like, you know what I mean? You don't yeah. like, ah, this is best for you. So if yeah. you're playing a character and they're not feeling it at the moment but you believe in the truth of your character, stick with it because mm-hmm. they'll, they'll rise. Sure. To meet you. Um, that being said, you can adjust it. If it's really way too big on the dial, maybe what you need to do for them to enter it is humanize the character a little more. Mm-hmm. So you turn down the dial a little, and then boom, you're in that sweet zone where the audience is like, oh, we know that person. And you're like, okay, and I have fun playing this person. And we're in alignment. Yeah. So it's a very like funny, like just like any relationship. Another balance. Yeah, like in a romantic relationship. You, don't, you can't lose yourself. Yeah. But you bring who you are in relation to the person. Isn't that, I mean, is it any different with an audience? I'd say no. No. I can't imagine it would be. Uh, going back to the clowning quickly, is there any other way that you felt clowning has uh, influenced your uh, oh, so play? Many, so many ways. I love it. Um, I just feel like I had some really great teachers. Um, like I referenced Paula Coletto recently. I, I thought she was really phenomenal at reminding me to be present. At like constantly bringing me back to the moment, and mm-hmm. I and I think I I found her. Um, I feel like Paula was just really fantastic at. Um, she's really present, and that's how I knew she'd be a great teacher. Okay. Because when I met her, I was like, boy, she's in the moment right now. And like, what better person to teach you about being present than somebody who's present when they're working? Yeah. Because she was teaching and she was working. That's how she makes her money, and she's present and doing that. So I was like, oh, I could really learn a lot from her. Mm-hmm. So she just reminded me to employ my imagination more, to always dive deeper in it, to take the whole thing at the same time a little more lightly. Like, we are in a state of play. Um, but I think, like, for me, by nature, I take the art very seriously, and I'm learning now to take myself very lightly. And that's, like, a nice balance. Okay. Great. Uh... You have also done a bunch of sketch. I saw a sketch show you did with Holly a few years oh back. God, I love that. You so good. That. Thank you. Uh, and just that character. And I, th- I don't know. I remember there was a video, too, with Barbara Lameter. Oh, God. It's so She's funny. She's a little dreamboat. Uh, is there any Barbara Lameter stuff still online? Yeah. Yeah, there's, it's yeah? online. And okay. I do a show in L.A. with her. No shit. It's the most fun I ever do. No, my dream was to like have a Pee show. A what show? Like a Pee-wee show. You know, I uh, used yeah, to yeah, run yeah. that at the Roxy in L.A. Yeah. Pee-wee Herman. I, um, Barb is sort of like a Pee-wee character. It's, she's a clown. Mm-hmm. And um, she lives in her own world. And so my friend Mo Welch has this show called The Mo Show. And it's an interview show where she like has like on a celebrity guest. And then mm-hmm. she has some stand-up. And she's a stand-up herself. And she hosts the show. And she's fantastic. And um, I'm her sidekick. Because she's more the straight person, meaning she's Mo. Yeah. And, um, I was like, well, it's such a good, but it's, it's a very bizarre world. You know, it's like, uh, we try to make it a little bit more like, uh, playful and surreal and mm-hmm. light and 
Um, so I'm always their sidekick as Barb, and it's a total blast. Yeah. Because I get to improvise. Yeah. And I get to play Barb, and I get to climb all over the audience. Yeah. Oh, she was so good. Uh, <laughs> and for so long after, uh, me and my roommate would just pee ass. Pee ass. It was fun working with Paolo, too, because I learned how to go deeper into her. And Norm Holly helped me a lot with going deeper into her pathos. Like the pathos, like the thing that makes her deeper than a, just yeah. a superficial clown. Like there's a lot of sadness in her that's really important to give her her roots. Because mm-hmm. my generally speaking, I mean, clowns are dimensional, but the thing I gravitate more to is, is sadness. I'm a tragic clown. That's what actually what makes me laugh most. Okay. It's tragedy. You know, like everyone has their thing. Like yeah. you look at artists and you can totally see, like, um, you know, Louis C.K. You know, there's something really like um, dark. And yeah. also, uh, his is all about exposure of self at the yeah. risk of, you know, and he wins the audience by being so, I wouldn't call him self-deprecating. He's honest. Mm-hmm. It's like this brutal honesty about how flawed he is. Yeah. And like, that's, you can tell it like is where the joy lives inside of him is ripping himself open and being yeah. like, this is, and then we instantly connect to that because we're like, we're flawed too. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see it with certain artists, like where their, the, the roots of their comedy come, comes from. Mm-hmm. And for me, um, it's tragedy, probably, you know, we're like Lena Dunham. It's like the sexual revolution. It's a little more dirty, yeah. a little more blue, you know, and it's like, or oh, Sarah Silverman is totally blue, but yeah, it's like she who is. she is. It's so authentic. Yeah. And for me, it's definitely tragic. And that tragic can go blue a little bit and it can go mystical and magical, but it, there's a tragic clown. So I, I'm a kind of a crybaby, and I, I fought it for a long time because you don't want to be a crybaby clown. It feels really like, what? This couldn't be funny. <laughs> But then you look at like Lucille Ball and Charlie Chaplin and they're sad clowns. And yeah. You're like, oh, okay. If yeah. they did it and it worked. So yeah. underneath it with Barb, she's very, very happy. But I'm learning now to find her um, rage and her sadness. And it's been a total blast. Wow. Because I a clown can like turn on a dime emotionally because yeah. they're kids. Yeah. Have you ever um, seen that Jimmy Kimmel where the parents eat the kids' um, oh, Halloween yeah. candy? Yep. Do you see how they go instantly emotional? Mm-hmm. That's like yep. clown right there. Yeah. Sorry, what were you going to say? I was just. Uh, the is that something that influences a lot of your sketch? Um, it kind of kind of does now. Um, but like even the show I, I wrote with Paul, there's some like tragic scenes in it. But I mean, I'm never sitting thinking like, um, oh, how do I bring in my clown? You know, yeah, it's more yeah. just going, how do I push this to be more vulnerable and yeah. to have more risk and to go deeper and to physically get what I want or to, to drive my character to get what they want. And at the end, they either get it or they don't. But that's theater. Yeah. It's like they get it or they don't. What, uh, because there's a lot of sketch in Philly too, uh, as there is anywhere else. Uh, In Philly, it seems to be more absurd, goofy, uh, quirky, where in Chicago, which kind of makes sense uh, being that, you know, especially the sketch I would see in uh, IO, was much more relationship based sort of sketch. Yeah. Uh, That's more of a statement. Yeah, no, I noticed that too. <laughs> yeah. But I like a little bit of everything because I look at a sketch show as balanced too. Right. So like even with my show with Paul, we have one scene that feels like almost like a mini play. Then we have some scenes that just are just pure character, you yeah. know, where we I get to play the straight person to his insane character. He gets mm-hmm. to play the straight person because we love playing the straight person too. Yeah. Um, and we get to, and that grounds these insane characters. Then we also have some scenes that are hard games, you know? So yeah. I'm like in my perfect world, in an improv show or a sketch show, I get to tickle like I get to do like every little thing that's fun that you know I'd love to have a physical scene I'd love to have you know just so that you really kind of just when you feel like you've pulled yourself to this depth of comedy you you sort of like 
ricochet, or, or what would be the word, like a slingshot. You slingshot okay. in like another direction. Okay. It really tickles you to do that. You're just, you have to spin on a dime, and anytime yeah. you spin, you you change the the energy of the piece, and you change the energy in you. So you have to rise to that challenge. Yeah. It's like expanding energy. My Paolo talks about this, so we always want to expand our energy on stage. Okay. So it's like anytime we can set something up for us that would do that naturally, bonus. It's what we do in, in yoga too. The, the the movement and the in the actual poses are about expanding your energy. Gotta take some yoga classes. <laughs> and don't get me wrong, I don't think yoga's for everyone. I'm not one of those people I'm like, everyone should do improv and yoga. Um that being said, I've they've been good to me. But a lot of people I say like, get a personal practice, but it can be anything, but it's yeah. probably good to move. Because, like, one of the reasons people don't move on stage is, like, well, do you move in life? Do you think suddenly your body's going to... Do you think things change by stepping on a four-inch platform? No. Nothing changes. Nothing changes. So, like, live the life you want to live 99% of the time and then just go into that hyper-reality of a stage, but bring it all with you. Yeah. This, uh... Podcast will be out after this weekend, but you have a show tonight and a show tomorrow yeah. with Scott Etzett. Yeah. Uh, how did you two start doing shows together? You know, it's funny. I um, I was going to New York and I was going to play with some of my New York friends, and I had met him in Chicago, and I said, "Oh, do you want to jump in?" Because Paul had said how much he loved playing with Scott, and I was like, "Oh, I'd love to play with Scott." So Scott was going to jump in, and then everybody who was supposed to be there had some really normal reason like it was something like flight delay or something and I was like oh all of this makes sense but none of them could make it so I called Scott and I said listen are you okay with a two person show and it was okay because I was going to do some solo work after that but I really like mixing it up I don't want to do an hour of solo stuff so I would I would do an improv set either before or after to change up the energy Okay. and so he's like yeah yeah I'll play so we did a two person show and it was just so fun and easy and um, he was like I'd be up for this again so every time I went to New York the pit was so great yeah um, uh, do you guys ever get competitive with them because their names so similar? <laughs> no, not until now. I never um, actually thought I about love the pit. Moment. I'm a huge fan of the pit. Yeah. Um, and uh, they were really, really good to us, and I felt really at home. It made me go, well, if I'm going to move somewhere, maybe I'll move here. But then I moved to LA and I love it out there. It's yeah. been a total blast. Okay. Is there anything that you've learned from playing with Scott? Oh my God, just to be better. <laughs> Um, Scott's really fantastic about not commenting on stuff, about living in the tension, mm-hmm. about, um, fearlessness of going to the things that are, yeah. you know, scary and yeah. dark. He's, he can play real, real dark. And I love that because mixed with my tragic, although sometimes we have to be careful with the two of us it could be scene after scene of people committing suicide and then, you know, me bawling about it. But really ga- engaging. <laughs> yeah. I use that word. Suicide. Hey, but so <laughs> engaging. Um, um, I'm haunted and he's tragic and he's dark. It's perfect. No, he's, he's really actually super dynamic and, um, yeah. and can kind of do anything. Uh, but so it's been good because it keeps me on my toes and because we actually haven't had that many shows together. It's kind of nice. It's like anytime you play with someone, ideally the situation is that they're unpredictable because that keeps you fresh too. Yeah. So you can't be predictable. So I've really enjoyed working with him. I feel super lucky. Um, that he's such a, such a vet and so present yeah. and so fearless. Um, I love that his meta mind is pretty amazing. It, it's nice for me because I come from the reckoning. Yeah. So it's like, oh, this magical worlds. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, smart, so smart. Yeah, he does feel like he fit, fits well in there. I know he could play with the reckoning yeah. and it would just blend right in. Yeah. 
Um, and he's such a great actor. Yes, I mean, that's the thing. You want to talk about patient and acting. Yeah. So it really does feel like, oh, you're a relative. You know, that's how it feels. Like, yeah. you're like a reckoning. It's the same with Paul. Paul feels like a, a reckoning. And I recently I just did a show in Chicago with Colleen Doyle, and it was very natural, very easy. I was like, oh, God. We only did one show because we're going to London together, and we're going to do a show there. So we're like, let's oh, practice great. in Chicago. And I was like, are you serious? That's our first show. It was the same with That's It. When your first show is easy. Yeah. You know, it's not like romantic relationships. They were like... Be careful when it's really hard at first because it's like only going to get harder. <laughs> yeah. And it's like kind of feel that same way with improv. If you have a magical experience, your first show, show with someone, that's like the universe telling you like, this is easy with yeah. this person. And yeah, we'll get tough. You'll go through times. There's times I've been in shows with um, Scott and sometimes if I'm not careful, I get a little deferential because he's so fantastic. I'm kind of like, you take the ball. And that's yeah. not how we do improv. Improv right. is really about sharing. And sometimes I'm a little bit like, what do you want to do? Because, yeah, I mean, God, that mind. <laughs> you know, and I kind of be careful because that doesn't serve him because then right. he's doing more heavy lifting. Right. And if, I, if I'm if i not careful, what I go into the mode of is pulling back a little bit, but then doing all the editing. I'm like, I'll take the weight of editing. What do you want to do next? You go. I'll edit. You go. And so I have to catch myself and not do just that work of the um, more peace playing yeah. and, and be okay with, because our better shows have been really when we share the ball back and forth. It feels very, like, seamless. Cool. Uh, two more questions. Yeah. Uh, what do you do... And how do you deal with the times where it's not so easy uh, after a, you know, quote-unquote bad show? Yeah. How do you, how do you take that? Because I know some people that just don't seem to get over it. Yeah. Uh, as, you know, weird as that is. Uh, well, how, how would you deal with it? Um, you know, for me, I feel like a bad show is part of the process. So yeah. when I get it, it's like, check. You've got to have, let's put it this way. you got to have... 10,000 bad shows. So every time you have one, go like, good. I'm getting close to my goal. Right? Yeah. Well, I guess 10,000 is a lot because if it takes 10,000 to be a master, 10,000 hours, you hope that not all of them are bad. (laughs) But like, you know, it's a percentage game. So early on your shows, more of them are rough and then they get, you know, it's just like hitting the, the ball with a bat. Your percentage goes up. But... That's with perfect practice. And by perfect practice, what I mean by that is mindful. That's a better word for mindful practice. Because you can never have perfect practice, but you have mindful practice where your brain isn't somewhere else. You're like, okay, sometimes I'll just give myself one or two things to focus on, which is like really absorb, um, tickle yourself, go a little further than you want to go, you know, in a scene, don't go to the safe place, go, go past it. Um, if you ever hear or feel a green light, you know, step on the gas. Don't just halfway and see if it's safe. The minute you get that feeling, your intuition says green light, step on the gas. So every show, good or bad, I learn from it. Yeah. But I try not to, um, there's this great quote by Byron Katie and she talks about how she accepts what is not because she's a spiritual person, but because she's learned that, that battling reality only hurts you. It's something like that. It's like, and I'm, of course I'm butchering it, but it's something like she, she's not in the, like in the business of like battling what is Yeah, it's, it's, it hurts too much. So like just go with the flow. It's basically that the, yeah. not because it's like, oh, I'm going to be so, it's just because it's easier. And so yeah. that's what I kind of feel like with improv is it teaches me to live in the easier life. Um, so when I have a bad show, I don't, I don't go back and go, God, I wish I could change that. I'm just like, oh, that was a bad show. And sometimes I have those really, like, learning, what I call learning experiences, mm-hmm. you know, like bad moments, like moments where I'm stuck 
or we get like a, I'm not enough in the piece to bring it back. And we're about to bring it back and the lights go. And I'm like, oh, we were so close yeah. to having that be a piece. Yeah. And there's that part of me that's like, oh, because I'm all, I'm, you know, in the end, I'm like a piece player. I want this yeah. to feel like a piece. It's not just scene to scene to me, although it's lovely. The moment matters. But it's so beautiful in long form to have these pieces, even mm-hmm. if it just means coming back to the feeling of the first scene or a character or a, the, the location or something right. or, or some sort of repetition or pattern throughout the piece, a string or a thread of sorts. And when something is about to come back and doesn't, it feels like it never got to live completely. <laughs> it's out in the ether. So that's the hardest thing for me to take off. It's not if I had a bad show, but if the piece somehow felt stunted. Yeah. Yeah. And so I feel a little like, oh, so it's a little hard for me to shake off sometimes. And I'm like, oh, and it usually takes half hour to an hour and I'm okay. You know, but right after the show, you have all that noradrenaline left over in your body. And so if somebody's like, how do you feel? I'm like, oh, I feel bad about that. (laughs) That ending. I'm like, I I had it and I didn't have enough of that internal clock to bring it back in time. So I sit there. That's the most I stew, but not on like, did I get enough laughs? It's more like more just sitting like, you know, wanting things to feel beautiful. Mm-hmm. Beauty is the, um, is the God. I feel more, if I disappointed her, I feel a little bit bad, Okay, but I do think you have to chase failure. Um, if, if you, if you chase failure, you know, with my, like being okay with failure, being like, yeah, that's part of it. Like check, check it off the list every day. Put a little mark on your bedpost of like failed. Good. That's part of it. Mixed with mindful practice, your gold. I like that too. Uh, the last thing is, is there anything else? You talked uh, about a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there anything else to say that you would say to improvisers or maybe to say to yourself as an improviser, uh, you know, years ago? Ooh. Something, some quick bit of advice, something you wish you had done years ago, known you know, then? You know, something I think I wish I'd done maybe years ago, because... I think, I, I mean, I think we're all like improv nerds and we care so much about this and we love it. Is one thing is I learn from every show. So it's not a bad idea to write down what you learn from shows. Meaning, and put it in the affirmative, meaning like you don't want to go, I was stupid and I did dumb things. It's more like next time I'm going to breathe more. Or I remember like even last night when I jumped in the show, I, learning moment right away of like play play harder every line every moment matters so sometimes I would deliver a moment with kind of this little bit of apprehension of like I'm gonna say this now and it's like can you deliver that with more spark of more like and this is my gift for the moment this is what I'm saying and be okay with it or tickled by it even more so so I was like oh Jet you could have played harder and here's how you could have played harder and when we play we're really actually like living to our potential. So I think one is like writing something in the affirmative of what it is you want to focus on journal, because I think writing down is when you write something down, it's really powerful and it will help you focus on, and you're your best teacher because you know the way you like to play. It might have not, it might not come out yet, but you know, deep inside you. That's why that critic is so strong. Ira Glass has this great quote about how the, the art we like when we first start it, we're not as good as our taste. You know, our taste is so refined, but we, and so we are judge judgmental. And a lot of times that makes people quit. But it's like, just remember, your taste is so strong because that's the mountain peak. That's like what you're working towards. So I had that. I mean, I was watching all these amazing people going, well, I'm not there. And I and I think I was pretty gentle with myself. It's like, it's okay. I'm playing at 10%. You know? And right now I'd say I'm playing at 50. You know? So I'm like, I'm excited about being like, all right, what's, what is it going to feel like when I'm just boom, everything is. And I, I mean, that's just an odd number I ripped out of nowhere. But just that <laughs> yeah. willingness to be like, 
it's inside of all yeah. of us. Just keep working in your, your little percentages, you know, like hitting the ball 50% of the time is like, be okay with that. Or, you know, 10% of the time, that's still pretty good. I mean, you'll make mm-hmm. it to the majors if you hit it a third of the time. Um, I think that's one. And then the other big thing I would tell students is I get a lot of requests to meet up. Um, people want to meet and talk just about life. And I think I always want to tell people, and and I will tell them this, if you want to meet up and grab a cup of coffee just to laugh and actually taste the coffee, I would do that. Like if you just want to like, just hang that interests me because that sounds like a cool connection. But if you want to meet up and talk, what I get a lot when I meet with people is they want to talk about their struggle with improv. And most of the time it's in I statements. How do I get more recognition? How do I get on a team? How do I, am, am I okay? And I'm always like, yeah, you're absolutely fine. I mean, I always believe everybody's born perfect. You know, you're born perfect. Could you be yeah. a better artist? Fuck yeah. We could all be better artists. Yeah. So what I would tell people is instead of getting coffee, don't get coffee. Go home and write a play, write a scene, write a poem, get together with some friends and improvise in your bedroom or basement or living room. Yeah. Book a show. Um, make a puppet, like do something that's to serve the art. Because if you're wondering how the art can serve you better, you're sitting in the wrong chair. (laughs) Like you have to serve the art and that's the joy of this work. And I just hear all the time, I statements of how can I get more respect? How can I get noticed? And never in those, I mean, very rarely do I have someone sit, sit with me and go, I'm working on this cool project and I have this weird place right in here and the story changes and I don't know how to solve it. I'd go, oh, that's so exciting. Let's talk about how we could solve that art. Yeah. Or can I show you a piece? And they could show me a character and I'd be like, oh, you got to spin it this way or try this. Have you tried that? Have you gone up here? Or like inviting me to a show. I love that when people invite me to a show. If I can make it, I'll make it. I love seeing this work. I'd prefer to come see your show than to get coffee with you because I'm like, I only want to play or watch the work. And so I really encourage people every day to make something, even if it's painting and it feels unrelated, it's not because that's about expression mm-hmm. and about imagination and expression and imagination, uh, cannot be matched ever with coffee. You know, yeah. it's too safe. Yeah. And what people really want to hear and I get it is that they're okay, but I can tell you right now, you're absolutely okay. Just like make work because it's what you're saying you want to do. And I actually believe that's what they want to do. So do Time is the most precious thing we have, like time and space. So, like, don't fill it with coffee. <laughs> Jet Eveleth. Or is it Jet Eveleth Elam? Either will work. Jet Elam? Yeah, I, I, I keep that Eveleth, though. Okay. i got to let that name live on. Cause Jet Eveleth, thank you for no giving more. me the time to get close. Of course. It was an awesome you. conversation. I think people are really going to enjoy this. See? See, huh? Yeah, I told you you, uh, you would like that. Uh, Jet's pretty awesome, as if that was not apparent in that little uh, little chat that we just had. Uh, she definitely loves improv, she knows what she's doing, she knows how to teach it, and she just exudes all of those things at once. Uh, yeah, if you ever have the chance to watch her perform, make sure that you do. She tours, kind of tours, I don't know if tours is the right word, she hits festivals with Scott Adsit of 30 Rock fame, and also Marl Arl and Mr. Show. And, uh, actually, Scott Adsit will be the next guest on the Getting Close podcast. Uh, it's already been recorded. I just got to do, uh, 
a little bit of work with it, and then I will put that up probably within the next week or two. Uh, but yeah, I'd like to thank Jet for doing the show, doing the podcast, and um, what else? Uh, yeah, check out all the stuff that she was mentioning, I guess. Last thing I will say is that the Stargrave and Mad podcast, which I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, is actually on August 2nd, not August 3rd, as I had said. Uh, it's August 2nd at 9.30 p.m. But do check out Stargrave and Mad if you're a fan of Game of Thrones and also the other episodes of the Get Close podcast. That's all I got. Thanks for getting close.